0: Welcome to Mertz Podcast, the podcast of Mertz Therapeutics Germany. We talk to experts in various fields about current topics and issues in medicine and research. My name is Judith Lambert-Baumann. I'm Head of Medical Affairs Germany, and I'm very happy to welcome you to another series of our Mertz Podcast. In line with our company's motto, Better outcomes for more patients, Merz Therapeutics strives to provide well health information and an added value for healthcare professionals and patients. The podcast of today deals with the topic Immunogenicity of Botulinum Neurotoxin Type A. Why do we dedicate this podcast of today to Immunogenicity of Botulinum Neurotoxin Type A? For the sake of privity, we are going to abbreviate botulinum neurotoxin type A with Bond A in this podcast. Due to its high efficacy and very good tolerability, Bond A has been utilized for many years now as first-choice drug to treat spastic and dystonic movement disorders, but also patients with scioluria are treated successfully. As in most cases a long-term treatment is required, it is important to guarantee the response of patients over a period of many years to ensure a successful therapy. However, it is not uncommon that the success of the treatment diminishes over time. There are many possible reasons for this. One of them may be the formation of neutralizing antibodies that reduce the effectiveness of Spont A over time. Today we will discuss this complex, entirely interesting topic with Prof. Dr. Michael Martin. A warm welcome to you, Prof. Martin. We are happy to have you here as our guest.
1: I'm very happy to be here today to discuss this issue with you.
0: Thank you very much. Dear Prof. Martin, may I briefly introduce you to our audience? You are a biochemist by training and you have qualified as professor in the field of immunology at the Distinguished Hanover Medical School. From 2003 until 2020, you were head of the Immunology in the Faculty of Biology and Chemistry at the Justus Liebig University in Gießen, Germany. You function as a reviewer for many scientific journals and funding agencies and you contributed many publications and review articles. In addition, you authored two textbooks on immunology and immunopharmacology in Germany. Prof. Martin, at the beginning of this conversation, we are interested to know, why do neutralizing antibodies arise when patients are treated with pharma proteins? And how does this apply to Bond A?
1: Thank you very much for this interesting question. But instead of answering directly, let me ask you a provocative question in turn. Why should the treatment with a pharma protein not result in the formation of antibodies, including neutralizing antibodies? C. Bond A is a bacterial protein. We know it as a food poison that may cause botulism. In fact, all Bond-A preparations on the market are produced by bacteria, in this case Clostridium botulinum. Bond-A is purified and enriched from these cultures. During the therapy with Bond-A, this bacterial protein is injected repeatedly at regular intervals into human beings over a long period of time. Normally, we are talking about many years, if not lifelong. The task of our immune system is to recognize such foreign microbial challenges and to initiate appropriate measures that can protect us. An adequate immune response can be the formation of antibodies against the challenge as these antibodies may be able to neutralize toxins or block their effect and thus protect us. So the generation of antibodies is a quite normal response. Or let me phrase it slightly different, why are even physicians time and time again surprised that the repeated injection of a bacterial protein triggers an immune response? The treatment with Bond A is strongly reminiscent of a vaccination, isn't it?
0: Could you please delve a little bit more into the comparison of a Bond A treatment with vaccination for us?
1: My pleasure, missus Lambert Lampard-Baumann. Please consider the well-known protective vaccination against tetanus. In this case, a bacterial protein, the tetanus toxin, which by the way is closely related to bond A, is injected several times in the defined form of a toxoid into a human being. The aim is to stimulate the immune response to produce an adequate titer of neutralizing antibodies to this foreign bacterial protein, here the tetanus toxin. Why? Because these neutralizing antibodies can protect us from the detrimental effects of this toxin. We all know this procedure as an active immunization. And a vaccination is successful if many protective antibodies are generated for as long as possible.
0: But exactly this, the formation of neutralizing antibodies during treatment with Bond A, should be avoided. Correct.
1: Let us have a look at what is going on. During the treatment with Bond A, be it for clinical indications or in aesthetic medicine, a very small amount of the highly active bacterial protein Bond A is injected in order to achieve the desired neuromodulatory effect. Unfortunately, we do not have the time here to discuss details of the molecular mechanisms, but three aspects are necessary for our better understanding. First, Bond A must bind to its target cells the nerve terminals in order to second, be taken up into the nerve cell so that third, A part of the toxin, namely the light chain, can inhibit the release of neurotransmitters by the nerve cell. These neurotransmitters are responsible for transmission of the stimulus and the triggering of the subsequent biological effects such as muscle contraction and others. Now the light chain of bond A is a protein that is slowly degraded over time in the nerve terminal. It is destroyed. And thus, bond A has to be re-injected at regular intervals of several weeks or months in order to maintain the desired therapeutic effect. And that is exactly the problem. Unfortunately, the immune system is unable to distinguish easily whether a physician injected this bacterial protein repeatedly in order to vaccinate or to achieve a therapeutic neuromodulatory effect the immune system responds in a stereotypical manner upon this type of challenge.
0: This means the repeated application of a pharma protein, here Bond A, over a longer period of time can be regarded as a vaccination from an immunological point of view?
1: Absolutely yes. Physicians are inadvertently vaccinating their patients when treating them with Bond A over a long period of time. Certainly unintentionally and very weakly as well, the percentage of patients responding with neutralizing antibody production is much lower compared to other pharma proteins such as recombinant cytokines or therapeutic antibodies.
0: Well, what does the formation of neutralizing antibodies depend on?
1: The success of a vaccination is defined as the generation of neutralizing antibodies against the foreign protein. The antigen. This success depends on several parameters, some of which can be influenced by the physician, while others cannot. It is important to note that the frequency of neutralizing antibody formation is heavily dependent on the brand of bond A used.
0: Okay. Before we come back to the differences of Bond-A preparations with respect to their immunogenicity, I would very much like you to comment on the consequences arising for the patient affected if they develop neutralizing antibodies against Bond-A.
1: The main consequence of the formation of neutralizing antibodies against Bond-A is easy to understand on a cellular level. As already mentioned, the docking of the bond A molecule to the terminal of the nerve cell is essential for the uptake of bond A into the nerve cell and for the subsequent inhibition of neurotransmitter release. Upon injection, neutralizing antibodies will bind to bond A already in the tissue outside of the nerve cell. Thus, they will inhibit the docking of the toxin to the nerve terminal In consequence, the toxin will not be internalized into the nerve cell. Therefore, the proper desired effect cannot be achieved. The release of acetylcholine will not be inhibited. In short, bond A does not work anymore.
0: And what does that mean for the patients affected?
1: It means that the patient will show a secondary, partial antibody mediated non-response. I would like to take this monster of a word apart and explain it secondary for the simple reason that this patient had responded very well and as anticipated at the beginning of the therapy and the decided clinical outcome was achieved. Thus satisfactory results were obtained initially however this effect abates over time sometimes already as early as after the second or maybe after the third or fourth injection often later this loss of effect depends on the concentration of neutralizing antibodies formed hence is antibody mediated regrettably it cannot be predicted if and when this will happen but As an effect of Bond-A is still there, alas reduced, it is a partial non-response.
0: These patients will still respond to Bond-A, but complete antibody-mediated non-response or resistance has also been reported?
1: Yes, this is the case if titers of neutralizing antibodies to Bond-A rise continuously in the person during further treatment. The repeated injections are the reason for this. This may result in a complete secondary antibody-mediated non-response or treatment failure. In consequence, the drug does not work anymore and the patient does not benefit from the neuromodulatory effect of Bond A.
0: Is there anything the physician can do to help these patients?
1: In case of a partial antibody-mediated non-response, the physician can try to increase the dose of bond A injected and, or shorten, the treatment intervals. However, this is only possible in a very narrow boundaries, as using a bond A preparation with a comparably high immunogenicity may lead to the formation of even more neutralizing antibodies against bond A. This is called boostering a mechanism well known from vaccination. That would be counterproductive in the medium or long term.
0: Now, if a complete secondary treatment failure is observed, is there anything else the physician can do to help?
1: If titers of neutralizing antibodies to bond A are high enough to sequester all of the bond A molecules injected before they can reach the nerve terminal, we speak of a complete secondary antibody-mediated non-response or treatment failure. In such a situation, the physician is unable to achieve any neuromodulatory effect despite increasing doses of bond A and or reducing treatment intervals. One is forced to discontinue the treatment until the levels of neutralizing antibodies in this person have declined to levels low enough for Bond A to be taken up into the nerve cell again.
0: How long do you think that a pause in therapy should
1: be? Well, this is individually different from person to person and unfortunately cannot really be predicted. However, a couple of studies show that one has to wait several years until any clinical effect is achieved again so the treatment holiday lasts quite long. And most importantly, these studies also show convincingly that the physician should not restart treatment with a Bond A preparation that was the cause of the antibody formation in the first place. These authors recommend restarting treatment with a Bond A preparation with very low immunogenicity, such as Incobotulinum toxin A, in order to avoid reactivating the immune system and triggering antibody formation again.
0: Considering that Bond A is a pharmaceutical drug of choice for many clinical conditions such as spastic movement disorders of the upper limb or scylaria, it seems to be of utmost importance to avoid the formation of neutralizing antibodies to Bond A at all costs. What are your recommendations?
1: One main recommendation from an immunological point of view is that the physician should strive to minimize the risk of neutralizing antibody formation to bond A by using a preparation with an immunogenicity as low as possible, right from the start of treatment. In addition, the physician should use the smallest dose needed to achieve the desired clinical outcome which is the minimum effective dose. The physician should choose the longest treatment intervals that are therapeutically justifiable. And finally, the physician should avoid top-up or booster injections between planned treatments.
0: Professor Martin, you have been using the term immunogenicity repeatedly in this podcast. Could you give us a brief definition?
1: Simplified, Immunogenicity describes the ability of a substance, we immunologists speak of an antigen, to activate the immune system in such a way that specific antibodies arise against this substance. In our case, the neuromodulator bond A is the antigen that would have to activate the immune system.
0: Thank you. That was short indeed. You mentioned before that the success of a vaccination is depending on several parameters. Shouldn't the knowledge of these parameters then enable us to reduce the risk of antibody formation to Bond A?
1: Yes, this is surely a very good approach. Let us stick to vaccination for sake of simplicity and brevity for the time being. The formation of neutralizing antibodies against a vaccine or antigen depends on the vaccine or antigen itself and its composition, the dose of the vaccine, the presence of adjuvants, the route of application during vaccination, injection intervals or boostering, and individual characteristics of the person vaccinated, such as HLA, immune status, and others. Some of these parameters can be influenced by the physician, while others are not modifiable. For example, the individual characteristics of the person vaccinated are partly genetically determined, inherited and thus cannot be altered. We will we will not discuss this here any further.
0: What about the other parameters?
1: We may also neglect the route of administration in context of bond A treatment for now, as all presently available formulations have to be injected. Yet One should not forget that especially in aesthetics, nowadays intradermal injections, frequently as many microtroplet injections or the entire face, are becoming increasingly popular. Intradermal injections are a route of application that tends to be more immunogenic than the intramuscular injections employed in clinical indications due to the higher concentration of dendritic cells in the dermis compared to muscles. And, of course, the injection intervals are of importance. But in therapeutic indications, treatment intervals are largely predetermined.
0: Professor Martin, could you elaborate on the dose of the vaccine? How can that be extended to Bond A?
1: Well, in general, the following applies. The higher the dose or concentration of an antigen or vaccine is, the higher its immunogenicity will be. In reality, the concentration of bond A that is injected into a patient will be very low compared to other pharma proteins due to the extremely high biological activity of the toxin or neuromodulator. Yet one does see differences in the frequency of occurrence of neutralizing antibodies when comparing between different different treatment indications. Bond-A doses used in clinical indications are typically higher compared to conventional on-label indications in aesthetic medicine such as glabella lines. However, Bond-A is now widely used for many off-label indications such as masseter reduction, and slimming of the shoulders and calf muscles, which require similar doses as spastic movement disorders. Here, the transition between clinical and aesthetic applications of Bond A are blurred. But clearly, the dose is relevant for immunogenicity.
0: Many thanks for these explanations. Now, let us discuss the composition of the available Bond-A products. What is the relevance of this important aspect for the Bond-A preparations available in Europe?
1: The composition of the formulations is of great importance. Briefly, presently there are three main Bond-A preparations available in the European market. They are very well known for quite some years and they are very well studied. A series of publications and clinical studies are available on these, enabling a robust comparison. The active ingredient botulinum neurotoxin type A1 is the same in all three preparations. It is isolated from a defined strain of the bacterium Clostridium botulinum. Hence, the molecular mechanism of action is also identical. Yet, the production The purification and the enrichment protocols differ between the producing companies. This results in a difference in purity of the products available.
0: Professor Martin, does that mean that some products might contain bacterial substances that are not required for the pharmacological effect of Bond-A? Ingredients that play no role in neuromodulation? Yes.
1: Exactly this is what it means. It is known from literature and from the data provided during the approval processes of the different products that Incobotolinum toxin A, due to its unique purification procedure, is the only pharmaceutical bond A product that contains only pure and bioactive bond A with no additional bacterial components. In Onobotulinum toxin A, on the contrary, Inactive, denatured bacterial toxin is contained in addition to the proper bioactive neurotoxin molecule. Furthermore, so-called bacterial complexing proteins are present. These are required for the protection of the active neurotoxin in the stomach and are responsible for the passage of bond A through the gut epithelial barrier when bond A is taken up as a food poison in contaminated food via the gastrointestinal tract. However, these complexing proteins are not necessary for the neuromodulatory activity of bond A when this is injected directly into the target tissue. Furthermore, traces of bacterial DNA were detected as contaminant in onabotolinum toxin A. Besides complexing proteins, an inactive or denatured toxin Flagelline was reported to be found in Abobotolinum Toxin A. While flagellin is a bacterial protein that enables live bacteria to move, it plays no role whatsoever for the pharmacological activity of Bond A and is just simply a bacterial contamination.
0: Does the difference in purity of these three commercially available Bond A products influence their immunogenicity? can you highlight any differences
1: indeed purity matters for immunogenicity in several studies and review articles on this topic it was shown that the frequency of neutralizing antibody formation to bond a is slowest in the highly purified incobotelan toxin a while a measurably higher immunogenicity of the other products can be ascertained it is also very interesting to note that to date, no secondary antibody-mediated treatment failure or resistance to bond A was reported if exclusively Incobotulinum toxin A was employed from the start of the treatment. This also applies when very high doses of Incobotulinum toxin A were used over a longer period of time in large cohorts of patients. The treatment of patients with either of the other two products was shown to cause antibody-mediated treatment failure in the range of about five to six percent, depending on indication and design of the study.
0: So, it is fair to state that purity does matter
1: indeed. Exactly. The purity of a pharma protein is relevant for its immunogenicity. The cleaner a Bond-A formulation is, and the higher its specific bioactivity, the lower is the risk of inducing, neutralizing antibody formation and thereby causing antibody-mediated therapy failure.
0: Dear Professor Martin, thank you very much for these practical explanations. They improve and facilitate the comprehension of these complex immunological processes. We would be interested in learning even more about this. Would you be willing to join one of our next podcasts and provide even greater insights on the topic of Bond-A immunogenicity? In particular, how neutralizing antibodies against Bond-A are formed and how the presence of unnecessary bacterial components increase the immunogenicity? Dear Mrs.
1: Lambert Baumann, my pleasure. First of all, let me thank you and Merz Therapeutics very much for the opportunity to discuss this interesting topic with you. I'm more than happy to continue our dialogue of today. I'm really looking forward to a next podcast on the immunogenicity of Bond A.
0: Great. I'm also very glad that we will have the opportunity to continue our conversation soon. Thank you very much again. More information on Incobotulinum Toxin A can be found on our websites for healthcare professionals. You've been listening to Mertz Podcast, the podcast of Mertz Therapeutics Germany. We hope you will join us again for another episode at www.mertz-podcast.de.